Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Detour Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Jones, and I'm joined by Johnny Trevorrow, as always, four-time national road champion. And Johnny, you've always got some drama to kick things off on the show, and you, you're surrounded by cockatoos up at Nagami today. <laughs> well, it was very early in the morning, so I decided to come out on the on the patio here, let the grandkids sleep, because I'm the cabin at Nagambi. Uh, but the cockatoos have just started screeching and carrying on. They've gone quiet. For, they've gone to another tree a bit further away, so hopefully we can get through this. Can you buy cockatoo spray in Nagambi? I mean, how do you scare off cockies? Uh, I got. To, I just got some really high-powered cap guns. Oh, yeah, perfect. Fire, fire the cap guns, and they fly somewhere else. You know. Well, it must be all those, <laughs> all those crumbs out on your deck. <laughs> um, no, mag, magpies come for that. Yeah, fair enough. Hey, uh, I'm always excited for every episode of the detour, but I'm really excited about this one because uh, when you go through this guy's career, I reckon he's one of Australia's most underrated cyclists. Iffy, would you agree? Without any doubt, yeah, uh, a boy from the bush in New South Wales who um, went to Europe as a very, very young man and raced as a junior overseas and ended up winning a German national title as a junior uh, and been pro for you know, more than a decade, an amazing young man. And we're talking about none other than Heinrich Hausler, who joins us live now from Germany. Uh, Heino, it's, it's great to have you on the show, mate. And uh, it's it's also great to see that uh, you're coming back into to some good form. You you must be feeling pretty good. Yeah. G'day guys. Um, yeah, I'll, yeah. Um, coming out of the winter really good this year, and um, already uh, raced uh, in Provence, and uh, obviously last week, the opening weekend, it's a big it's a big test, uh, pretty much for all classic riders to see where they stand, how the winter was. And if you're you're up there in the front, like able to attack or able to get it like a top ten or a good result, that means basically you've had a good winter and you're pretty much on track for the rest of the classic. Now, mate, I can't help but notice you've got one of the most important uh, appliances in the background, the thermomix. How good are they? I bought I bought that for my missus when we had kids. <laughs> mate, how many uh, the soups? I mean, everyone talks about dips and that, but the soups you can churn out and that thing are incredible. Mate, you can do anything with that. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Uh, um, for, for some reason, I've only seen a blank uh, screen where Hino is. I don't know. Obviously, you can see. Him, hopefully, uh, our fans out there can see. Him, yeah, but, I can uh, see. Yeah, okay. Oh, well, I can't. So, but anyway. Um, yeah, look. <laughs> Here we go. It's going to be a good end, boys. Strap yourself last, in. Last weekend, uh, I know, uh, was the opening of the Classics Weekend in, in Belgium uh, with the Omloop and the next day, Kern Brussels Kern. And you were really right at the point in in both races, fourth uh, in the Omloop. Ah, there you've popped up on my screen so I can see you again, mate. Yeah, you're looking good. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, it's a bit of a resurgent form. You had a, a bit of a quiet year, that terrible uh, 2020, but you're back into into some of your best form. Yeah, it's uh, kind of strange. You know, I turned seven this year. Um, I kind of see myself now as one of the older riders. But um, you're still there? Yeah, we're there, mate. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. There's a few technical gremlins going on in the morning today. We've got cockatoos. We've got blank screens. It's all happening. Okay. 
Yeah, and then um, uh, yeah, this year, this winter, I decided to do a lot of cross races, uh, which has helped me, I think, dramatically. Um, just because as you get older, you kind of get slower, you kind of turn into more of a diesel, and um, just the cross races, they've just helped me get back kind of a little bit of that fast twitch, that explosiveness, that power, doing something new, staying more focused during the winter because you know you're racing every weekend and it's just like cyclocross for me is, uh, I, I, it's like, I don't know, as a, as a, as a, as a child having Coca-Cola for the first time. If, if, if I can explain that, it's just unbelievable. It's, a, it's an amazing sport and I, I just, I regret it that I didn't do it 15, 16 years ago. It's, uh, it's really helped me. You raise a good point because, you know, do you get that point in your career? I mean, you see some riders, you know, they change teams or they, they try and reset the brain essentially to, to find that spark. Have you found that through cyclocross? Oh, 100%. I mean, if uh, <laughs> if, if, if Sven, Sven Nice, if he would offer me a contract, I'd probably take a cyclocross now instead of being a pro cyclist. <laughs> And how is it? Is it much more um, argy bargy the cycle cross side of things? Because you see the the highlights, and you know there's guys pushing each other over on the on the dirt. Oh mate, it's 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 absolutely full on. It's probably it's uh, it's really I, I myself to be honest, I always used just to think, oh yeah, cycle cross, you know, it's more for the guys that couldn't make it on the road, and you know, it's just a bunch of Belgians they just meet up in the paddock and have a ride in the mud and afterwards have a couple of Belgian beers. <laughs> that but, doesn't um, sound too bad. <laughs> yeah, it's also good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but um, I, got, I got totally proven the opposite. I mean, and I mean, there's a reason, you know, like you see now with Wald van Aard, Mathieu van der Poel, uh, Tim Meillet, he won the La Semaine uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, Tom, uh, Tom Pitcock. You know, he got third in Kerner in the sprint. He's, 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 he's neo pro. He's never done the races before. And he just, he's, even in, in Newsblood, he was super strong. I mean, there's also a reason why these guys are so strong. It's just because they have that that background of cyclists. And I think as a, as a road cyclist, it, it, it helps you dramatically. Iffy? Yeah, I saw you, uh, you started a couple of years ago, the site like cross, and I wondered what you were doing. But obviously, um, it, it, it's really worked for you. And uh, is it is it the the and you know the the, the fact of uh, there's so much. Um, I'm trying to think of the word, but <laughs> with, with the um, it's too early in the morning, John. It, it is. I haven't woken up yet. Yeah. Yeah. Punchy but is it? You punchy sort of. You know. That, yeah, that's what it is. Exactly. Yeah, yeah that'll, that'll do. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, the, uh, all these cyclocross guys, I know, especially in Belgium, you know, they've started cyclocross when they were young kids. And, um, like, me, myself, being a pro, pro cyclist, you think, and it's kind of, you know, you're also riding a bike on cyclocross, you think, you kind of think, oh, yeah, I can just turn up there and I can race with these guys. But it's not the fact. It's just, it's so, so intense and so hard. I just, I, I'm, it just blows my mind away, you know. Even, like, for, for example, on the start line, you know, you've got maybe three, four hundred meters just straight. You've just got to get in the pedal as quickly as possible and try and accelerate as, as fast as you can. And you'd think as a, like a, I'm not a sprinter anymore, but you say ex-sprinter or classics rider, you'd be able to keep up with these guys or even pass a few of them. 
but even on the start line, like these little 60 kilo guys, they just, they just, they just ride away from you. You have absolutely no chance. And that they, they mm. just, it just blows my mind away. And it's just not, it's just the whole race is like one hour. You're, you're one hour above threshold. You know, it's just, uh, it's, 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 you, you think that there's going to be a lot of riders that see what you're doing and the Vanderpoles and the likes that'll start wanting to, to jump across? Will there be a real for resurgence sure. of cyclocross? Yeah. For sure, mate, for sure. There's so During Fiona, so many guys come up to me and they said, oh, mate, I'm going to start doing cyclocross next, next winter. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. And, I, oh, no, I think it's an amazing... It is. It's an amazing sport. I mean, obviously, without the crowds, it's not... I mean, it's still, still great, but... Like, especially in Belgium, the fans are just so crazy. Like, they're just, they lo- they're there for the sport. They love it. And um, normally when, when, when it wasn't COVID, you know, you have like 50, 60, 70,000 people there just on the course. And they all pay like anything between 10 and 25 euros to get in there. It's just, mm. a, it's a massive, like a massive festival. It's, it's, un- it's I, unreal. I remember the wean dog dragged me to a cyclocross race where Amsel Goldfinish was, but the the problem for me was it it was right where the casino was, so I missed about <laughs> an hour of the races because I was playing blackjack. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. <laughs> but the but the atmosphere, yeah, as you said, was incredible. But um, yeah, yeah uh, fantastic stuff. Hey, I know. I thought we'd go back to the start of your career, but what we like to do on the D two is do a bit of a YouTube deep dive and see if we can. Uh, steal some great vision. And uh, I found a cracking clip that I think Cycling Central ran back in the day. Mark Fallahy, who's one of the best editors, he's a whiz, he put together this package. And I think this summarises particularly those early days as a junior. So let's let's have a look and, and wind the clock back. Yep. I was born uh, in Nimbrel in 1984. I think I got a bike for Christmas. A few weeks later, there was a small race in um, in Gilgai. It's uh, just out of town of Inverell. When I saw him for the first time uh, racing in Gilgai, he was only little, but I knew then, not because he was my son, could have been any other kid, this kid got something special. I got third in this race, and I crashed. My, I remember I was because my handlebars were all bent, and then I got back on the bike and was coming through the finish line with all the handlebars bent, and I, I was bleeding, and then two days later, it was in the, in the newspaper, and then I got like a medal, five bucks for, for the third place. Took the medal to school to show and tell, and that, that's how it all started. It was just, um, just really fun games. When they put the little medal around his neck, he looked at me and he said, Dad, one day I will ride the Tour de France. And everyone laughed. And I was the only one who didn't laugh. I said, son, if you really want to do this, I will support you. When I was 12, we, for the first time, we went to Germany for six weeks, having a holiday. And in the meantime, I was doing a lot of racing. I think I'd done 12 races in that time. And then after that, my dad came up with the idea to um, maybe send me to Germany by myself to live there alone. When I made that step to move to Germany, that's when it really got serious. I remember uh, ringing mum a few, a lot of times, just crying, like just homesick, just wanted to come go back to Australia. After a year, it all started to, go, started to get 
get better, you know, you learn the language, make friends. That's an unbelievable backstory to the beginnings right. of the old Hino. The, uh, what stood out, obviously, is that race, the light bulb moment, you know, when you finished with the busted handlebars and you, you'd had a fall. Um, is that race singly is like a sliding doors moment for you? Oh, yeah, I, I remember it like, like it happened yesterday. Yeah. It's, uh, but, yeah, it brings back a lot, a lot of memories. It's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, it's great. And and as your old man said in that clip, um, you, you had the vision, I want to ride the Tour de France. I mean, how big was that drive? And particularly at such a young age to just have that forward thinking to go, nah, that's what I want to do. And that was it. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I wasn't that typical, uh, like, at, at growing up, going out, going to school, you know, it was more everyone playing cricket or rugby league. And um, I, I don't know. I just, I wanted to ride my bike. And... Um, Got a bike for Christmas. Uh, then in Gilgai was the, my first race. And then straight away I was hooked. And um, from then onwards, it just got more and more serious. And uh, with my old man, especially, I mean, he, I wouldn't be the person I am today without him or where I am at the moment either without him. Because he just, they, I mean, he spent every last cent on, on me, like traveling around Australia, racing on new equipment, new bikes, traveling to Germany. Um, like yeah, I I, I I I hope. I mean, I also have kids now, and I I hope also that I can be the same father that my father was for me. So it's a it's a, he's a big inspiration for me, and um, yeah, it's uh, like I said, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't him. If he yeah, uh, uh, didn't your your brother also uh, have a pro career in as a footballer in Europe? Yeah, he pre he pretty much took the the same steps as I did, but um, in soccer, so in football. But, I, um, I think I think I remember seeing your brother at one of the Tour de France after parties. I don't even reckon yeah. he was eighteen at the time, and we we snuck him into one of the big nightclubs or whatever. Yeah, he was a real character. He might have been seventeen. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, great times. But um, that must have been pretty daunting. I mean, we talk about on this show a number of times about, you know, riders that have gone through difficult periods and so forth, but it's all about building resilience. I mean, how much resilience was built as such a young kid to pack up and leave Australia and go to Germany? And as you said in that clip, you know, there must have been some tough times, missing home and things like that. But have those things served you, you know, as good part of your toolkit for, for later in life? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, the thing was, at the time, it was kind of like kind of cool, a cool idea, you know. But going to school, you're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go to Germany by myself, you know. But actually, mm. when you get there, you know, you don't speak the language, um, you know, just everything. It was it was terrible. Like first, I remember the first year, I pretty much, I, I think, I cried myself to sleep every night. Yeah, and. Like, I was just begging mum and dad, like, to, I want to come home. Like, I, I want to come home. I want to come home. And they were just like, no, come on, just stick it out for one year. And if it doesn't go good, then you can come back. But, you know, just try and try and stick it out and make the best out of it and see how it goes. And then, then, then it was like that after a year, you know, learned the language. Uh, racing was very successful and it just got, I mean, it, it never felt like home, but. It did get better, but um, obviously, yeah, you had to go up. You had to go up very, 
very early, you know, you had to learn kind of not necessarily cook for yourself, but, you know, clean, take a lot of responsibility. And also the sports school I went to, it was, it was pretty hard ass, you know, it was like, you know, terrible early, early mornings, late nights, a lot of training, a lot of schoolwork, a lot of discipline, but that was kind of also the apprenticeship, uh, a good apprenticeship to turn a pro. So it's a, and so it was a, a specific sports school. So you, your father's vision was like, if we send you to Germany, was the drive, there was more races out of your comfort zone, better environment, you know, to give you those tools that if you want to, you know, ride in the tour or that, this will give you the grounding, yeah? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, well, the thing was back that, back then in Australia, and I was, I was 10, 11, 12 years old, uh, we'd, we'd pretty much, you know, travel all the way up to Queensland or down to Victoria, always either for, you know, state titles or other races, tours. And, you know, sometimes there'd be only eight or nine guys on the start line. It's, I mean, mm. cycling has in the last 30 years completely changed in Australia. And um, then I'd done my first race here in Germany and there was 280 riders on the start. It was mm. just like absolutely blown, blew, blew my mind away. And then... Um, it just made it easier because my old man, he's German. So back then I had a German passport, so I had dual citizenship. It just made it just made that step easier to come to, to Europe where cycling is. And um, then, yeah, then I then I had like scholarship uh, at the sports school. So I didn't have to pay. I, they paid for everything, all my, my travel, my bikes, my food, schooling, everything. So, yeah, it just, it's going, using, using that, that, that option or that way, it just made things uh, a lot easier to turn turn pro. If he, I, I remember that uh, when you first turned pro, uh, you were actually listed as a German rider, uh, even though you're born in Inverell. Um, but then you had to make a decision at some stage to change your nationality so that you could uh, represent Australia at the Worlds. Yeah, exactly. Um, just because I, I chose that path. Um, so I was also in the German Feder Federation and um, I also represented Germany as a junior in the 23s. Then uh, when I turned professional, I had my first chance to represent Australia at the World Championships and then um, I was a little bit more growing up then and I was just like, yeah, look, if I have the choice, then obviously I want to represent Australia because it's just where my heart is and it would feel completely wrong to represent Germany. Um, yeah, and then I had to. It took it took a, it took a while. It took almost one and a half years just with paperwork and everything. But um, yeah, then I had to give back German citizenship. And then in two end of two thousand nine, I was then uh, officially <laughs> Australian again. Because I read I, I read online that there was a bit of a dilemma because it was around the time of the two thousand eight Olympics, and they said, you know, what happens if Germany want you to ride for the Olympics? You know, for them, you know, it's a huge opportunity. And yeah, your response was like, no, I'm not going to do it because there's like that waiting period. I think did the UCI have rules that if you take the start, you're not qualified for three years or something, which would have rendered you ineligible in the 2012 Worlds in Geelong. Yeah, exactly. That was the thing. So Germany wanted to race for them, but I, I knew because I was already in, in touch with uh, Pat McQuaid back then, obviously, because it's a there was a lot, a lot of paperwork to be done and other things. So um, I was in contact with Pat and he just said, look, if you, if you, if you do if you do that, then yeah, you're going to be like pretty much suspended for this amount of time. 
So, um, yeah, I just uh, kind of left out Worlds for a few years. And was to, there any pressure? Was there pressure on the German side? Hey, no, you know, don't change. We'll support you. Here's a bag of cash in a brown paper bag. Any of that sort of stuff? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. But I mean, the thing is, I, I live here in Germany. My wife is German. My kids, you know, they're, they're born here. And I, I, I went through that system. And I mean, they invested a lot of money in me. And I'm very thankful for that. But um, it just, like I said, if I if I had the if I had the choice, it just wouldn't feel right if I if if I had to represent Germany. I would rather, I wouldn't rather do the worlds then if I had to. Well, given you sacrificed a lot then to come back to Australia, what did it feel like to pull on the green and gold for the first time and and race? Well, it, it wasn't just to put on the jersey. You just always you heard from the other guys that um when the, when the Aussies they come together for world championships it's just something special it's like everyone comes from their different trade teams but when they put on that jersey it's just they're like just like almost like a family like one unit and uh, it's something that I always get excited about every year if I have the chance to do the worlds that um to put on to put on the jersey it's like you know to go to the world championships it's just it gives you goosebumps it's something special now, one of the breakthrough moments in your career was your first Grand Tour stage win uh, in the Vuelta in, in 2005. I think it was uh, stage 19. You have a look at the photo here. You, you're being a pretty good crop of riders in that period. You've got Tomica, you've got Brownie, you've got Tor Hushoff. Uh, what, what are your memories of that day, mate? Oh, that, that, I mean, yeah, I still remember that, but... Um... Yeah, I, I was I was young and I was to be honest, I was also a little bit cocky and didn't really have <laughs> a, much respect for the bigger riders. I remember, I remember also during the world having a few run-ins with uh, Eric Zabel and um, uh, what's his name? The other I forgot his name. <laughs> That's right. Early morning, uh, mate. Pataki. Pataki. Yeah, yeah. That's cook that's cookies mate, isn't it? Iffy? Yeah. <laughs> no, it wasn't Pataki that knocked you off. That was uh the other bloke. Oh Bettini. Bettini. I was just gonna ask, uh being from Inverell, uh, which is very famous in cycling uh, uh terms with the graph into Inverell, uh, but also the hometown of uh, Scotty Sunderland, did he have anything to do with with helping you in your early career? Um, I mean, a little bit. I mean, look, Scott, he always came back to Inverell. And um, it was always someone that we kind of looked up to as as, as juniors, you know, because he, he was like, oh, yeah, he, he's the one. He's, he's a pro over in Europe. You know, he'd come back and uh, he'd come out training with us. You know, he'd train without a helmet and have all the, all the, all the, the new kit, the new bike. And there's just someone that we look up to. You know, he came... He'd come around like to the Wednesday sessions on the track. We even had a velodrome in 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 Braille. and um, you know, come out and give a few pointer, uh, pointers and tips uh, for the juniors and stuff like that. So I mean, he was always someone that I looked up to as a junior, and then also he was actually the one that that got me to uh, Sabello Test Team. So um, oh. he he's obviously he's played his role in one way or the other during my career, so, yeah. 
Now, what, while we're just before we go to the other, while we're talking about Inverell, because the Grafton Inverell is a, is a great bike race. I raced it in my day. It was always the, the you know one of the biggest one day races in Australia, and still is. But it ran into some tough times, and you actually took over as sponsor of the Grafton Inverell for a little while. How did that come about? Oh, it was just it was just back then when uh, when I was a bigger contractor, <laughs> I, I had a bit more money on the side, and obviously um, I could I could help out a little bit. I also you know I'd, I've helped out a little also with junior cycling back then, and also like giving back to my club in Germany where I grew up. Uh, yeah, now I'm not, I'm not, I mean, obviously I can still live, but, um, back then I had a good contracts and I could, uh, give back, you know, a little bit what people invested in me in the past, just to say like a small thank you. So you're telling us that the Heinrich Hausler Bay Crits of 2020 is in doubt. Uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been his follow-up question. No, yeah, you beat me to it. <laughs> um, just going to talk about uh, last year, 2020. What a what a disastrous year it was for the world, but it was very challenging for the sport. How, how did how did you see it, mate? Um, I mean, I think for in cycling, we've been pretty lucky. I mean, because, you know, like our, our job is to go out training every day or race, you know, for us. Yeah, there was a period in summer where there was the lockdown completely where there was no racing. But um, apart from that, it hasn't, things have really changed that much for us. We still can go out every day. I mean, in Germany, we've been fortunate, you know, like last year in Italy and Spain and France, you know, they had a complete lockdown where they were like stuck in home for like two or three months, just riding on, on the trainers every day. Like that was... That was pretty hard ass. I don't know if I could have done that, but um, yeah, it's uh, I, I, you know I speak a lot with my mum and dad, and just you know every now and then I mention them. Oh, so you, you guys don't have to wear masks when you go down to town or anything? Like uh, you know, back in Inverell, I don't I don't think they even know what COVID is. Yeah, so yeah. I'm actually I was, even, I was speaking with Durbo during Newsblood, and he was just saying, mate, back in Australia it was amazing because mm. if you compare it to like here in Europe. Uh, there's just so many restrictions and it's, uh, I mean, it has to be done obviously, but it's, uh, it's, uh, I mean, for example, for my kids or, you know, kindergartens are closed, schools are closed, wife can't go to work because everything's in lockdown, you know, people, people start to go crazy. They just, they, you know, they would need that, that social contact, you know, just saying hello to people, have a coffee or just in general seeing people, you know. It's, uh, it's, but it's something you also have slowly gotten used to. You know, it's just normal now. If you go shopping that, you know, you just keep your distance, you wear a mask, get your PCR test done twice a week. It's just, uh, it's, it's, it's started to almost become normal. We were talking earlier about that sort of resilience that you build up at a, a young age. Um, from some of the rides that we've talked to, the ones that sort of clearly are struggling the most are the ones that, are locked into as a rider, you get that sort of calendar, you know, you get that schedule, you almost become a bit robotic, you know how the year pans out. As soon as that changes, you know, your brain can't process it. I mean, are you in the mindset of, oh, it is what it is, just keep moving forward? You know, how, how did you sort of handle all of that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Always move forward. I mean, yeah, I, I, there are a lot of guys also in our team, you know, they struggle. Um, 
with not having this certain structure, not knowing that if there's going to be a training camp or what their races are or anything. But when uh, we were at Paris and then we came back home and that was pretty much, yeah, okay, everything's going to get, uh, all the races called off. Countries started to go into lockdown and close their borders. And to be honest, I mean, I mean, we were lucky because in, in, in March, April, that was super good here. Just me, me and my other training buddies, like, we just went out every day and smashed ourselves and doing like 4,000, 5,000 meters climbing every day. So it was, it was, it, it sounds strange, but it was also a really nice period of my career. Cause we just, we went out, not necessarily to train for race, but just to have fun. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm not necessarily a guy that rides a bike because it's my job. You know, I'll, I'll still, I'll slide once I stop cycling or pretty much for the rest of my life for my life because I, I just I love getting out there and smashing myself. And have you found you're at that point in your career where you can identify, say if it's on your team, younger riders that are struggling to pass on experiences that you've had to, to act more as a sort of mentor now for these younger guys coming through? Oh yeah, hundred percent. You just see it. The younger guys that are up these days, they're just, they're just different. Like then I'm not saying that, pussies but <laughs> they, they, <laughs> you can say it much, mate they, they, the thing is i mean not all of them obviously there's a, i mean they all work hard otherwise they're not pro but i mean obviously back then you know the cycling was completely different you know it was a com- complete different apprenticeship you know, like you know i remember my first years you pretty much if you were did something wrong in the peloton or you know if you made the first echelon and a few guys weren't happy about it you know you just get a smack over the head and they, they pretty much told you just to piss off into the next group. So, um, and, and these days you just can't do things like that. You know, back then there was the big, the big, like the bosses, you know, like Cipollini, he's pretty much, he just told everyone what to do and, and the, the whole Peloton done it. You know, these days there's no respect, there's no leaders, there's no, everyone just pretty much fights, fights for their lives. Do you think a 21 year old winning the Tour de France particularly has made a big difference in terms of the older guys have to respect the young guys now because these guys can smash, you know, results and they are flying. So the older guys are like, oh, shit, maybe they're not going to give us that respect because we, we might have to respect them. Oh, yeah, 100%. I mean, it's, it's kind of in one way I'm actually in one way I'm actually glad that I'm already 37 because uh, <laughs> when I see some of these young, other younger kids or in, even in my team, I, I just say to them, mate, hey, Mate, you're in the shit. All the best. Yeah, you saw 12, 13, 14 years ago of this. Good luck with that. But, uh, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. The young talent these days that is coming up is almost scary. Why, why is it? We've, we've asked a few people on this show, like, what, what has led this resurgence of, of young talent that are, are smashing results? What, what do you think is causing it? I have absolutely no idea. I, I really cannot. I have no idea. No mm. idea. Uh, Ify, we've, we, what I like about this show is we have a run sheet, right, Hino, and we sort of have a bit of a plan of how it's going to flow in the years, and we sort of started in order, whereas what we've done through this show is we've gone early 2020, back to yeah. 05. We're all over the shop, so the back half will probably it'll flow a bit more, but this is usually the part of the show where we plug the sponsors, Johnny. This is where you yep. do your finest work. You've got your script, mate. Who do you who do you script. want to who do you want to start with? So let's go. Oh, 
Yeah, we'll Mona do that. We'll, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that'd be great. Yeah, they yeah. are. Uh, well, let's go, motorhomes. I was going to say, yeah, uh, if you've got a, a holiday, then in Australia, because that's where all the only place you can get them. <laughs> so let's go, motorhome, the perfect family escape. Um, school holidays just coming up, so yeah, grab your let's go and go anywhere in, in, in Victoria or Australia, of course. Uh, bike rack on the back, um, yeah, just a, a, a sensational. Now, oh, no, I was going to ask you, mate, if you wanted to go for a let's go motorhome holiday in Australia, where would you pick, mate? Well, obviously, growing up in Inverell, you can do a lot, especially around northern uh, New England. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of dams around Inverell. I'd go, I'd go to Copeland Dam for a week with the kids, go out there camping, have a bushfire, do a bit of fishing and just do the just do the, the typical Australian thing. I also I'd get a second one for the for the cross season. I need I I need a camper van for the for the cross season. <laughs> oh yeah, it'd be great. Exactly. Yeah, I don't think Let's Go have uh, got uh, any deals for you in uh, yeah. in uh, Belgium and uh, and Holland. But uh, when you come back to Oz next time, mate, which you'll finally get out here with the family, hopefully when all this uh, pandemic settles down, I'll I'll talk to Jerry and we'll arrange a a camp for you to go and do that uh, that holiday, mate. Oh, that'd be amazing. I'd love to get out there with the kids and just uh, show them Australia. We might even slip in a couple of bottles of Michelin wine, Johnny. But we'll, we'll get to them in a sec. Jaco uh, Caravans is another big supporter of not just the detour, but uh, Australian cycling. Uh, massive supporters of Team Bike Exchange. And and the man, Jerry Ryan, is, yes. is the driving force. He certainly is, and you know we always say if you if you wanted to uh, buy a caravan, when you do, and they're you know so popular at the moment, I think Jerry's got something like ten thousand back orders for caravans at the moment. Um, you you would uh, want to support JK because of uh, you know how they've supported cycling for you know twenty five years, but you wouldn't go anywhere else anyway because they're the, the the biggest selling caravan in Australia by by a mile. So uh, uh, go go Jaco. That's it. And Mitchell and Wines, as we mentioned, John. Ah, well, that's where I They're just down the road here. I'm up in the Gamby right as we speak. Uh, one of Australia's favourite wineries and a place of escape. Experience the history, the beauty and the serenity of the Goulburn Valley at your own pace, except for the cockatoos. Looking over the vineyards <laughs> from the iconic tower, staying in the new hotel, relaxing by the pool, recharging in the date bar where you can quiet the mind, unwind the body, rediscover balance in a setting of peace and harmony. I'm going out there for lunch tomorrow, actually. It'll be sensational. It's my 50th wedding anniversary tomorrow. Can't believe it. We made well, There you it. go. <laughs> what, what, what are you going to order for lunch? You like uh, raw meat. I'd sort of take – I wouldn't be risking the raw meat because you'll be out of action – Potentially for at least twenty four <laughs> no, hours. Ah, uh, well, mate, there's an amazing uh, uh, menu in the in the Muse restaurant. Um, but uh, the, the wines there, of course, uh, they, they sample. You can you can have the, uh, the the wines perfectly paired for your meal. Uh, stop by the Provador, two of the salads, and of course, taste their highly awarded signature wines and uh, taste the craft and care in every every bottle. And Mitchell. Mitchelton has become a really popular venue for weddings and those major uh, celebrations like 50th wedding anniversaries and such. Uh, but also, 
they've got this fantastic uh, um, Aboriginal art gallery, high now. It really is just staggering. Uh, and I think it's the world's biggest private uh, Aboriginal art collection. And it's just some of the pieces down there just blow you away. And, of course, there is one that stands out. There it is, the $10,000 Land Cruiser with the $3 million uh, paint job. And John's not lying. It's three million bucks, and that price never changes. Yeah, every every week on the show, uh, it, it bounces around between five hundred thousand and four point seven mil. So we don't know what we're going to get next week. Now it's uh, time for a quick words uh, from our great mates at Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. Three hundred and seventy-four people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs, semi-amateurs, and pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank and these bars. This could be the perfect match. But not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on Bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace, with over 500,000 products and 900 brands, where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Thanks again to our great mates at Bike Exchange. Now, the year 2009, sensational year for yourself, Hino. Uh, you, you had some amazing results in the classics. Uh, before we sort of bounce around and get to the Tour de France as well, I've got some vision of uh, Milan Sound Remount. Now, totally understandable if you, if you don't want to watch, so turn your eyes away now. But uh, here's, here's the final final uh, couple of hundred metres of, of that uh, incredible race. Time for the bikes to get out of the way because they're going to come through like a train as Inkerby starts to pick up the pace here. Bikes are waving themselves off. The whistles are blazing here. And up to the front, that's Hinkerby. Where is Cavendish? He's about three riders back. He's on exactly the position he wants to be. Right of the field, left of your screen. And there goes Hinkerby. He picks up the pace. Where's Cavendish? Has he been lost just as uh, we come round that... Uh, one of the penultimate corners here. Oh, it's still open-mouthed and waiting to do it, waiting to hit the pace. Cav just getting himself into position. We've got one of the Garmin boys looking handily as well. Hausler's in position, and here we go. It's now or never time, and the bells have rung, and this is the time you've got to go, or just pack up and go home. And Hinkeby gets on the back of him and just tries to stay with it. Cav gets himself into position. Hausler. Hausler's there. Oh, my life! Well, 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 they burst for it with 250 kilometers to go and just at the field. Everyone got themselves out of position. Cav just blew that one when it came to the final few curves there, Brian. Well, Hausler and Cavendish came to the line and uh, what a sprint what that was. And you see on right-hand side, Hausler just goes straight onto the deck. Hausler hitting the front. Did the line, well, you called it the house loan. Do you know what? I think you might well be right. I don't mean to have no faith. No, oh, look at that. Half a wheel. If you can see that blood thing, but uh, I thought Cav left it to What a brilliant performance there for uh, British Cycling. And, My uh, life. Well, I tell you what, ripple of applause. He never gave everywhere. up. Never gave up. Never Shoot. give up. Mark Cavendish. Oh, ye of little faith. 
Oh, that. If he, what are your thoughts looking at that? Ah, uh, no. Look, a perfect sprint. I just felt for you. I remember that watching that live, and uh, I thought you had it. And they were they were giving it to you actually. Um, uh, did Did you think you actually had it? That you, you know, twenty minutes ago, you must have thought I've got it. Oh no, I could. You could just. I could feel like I know as maybe as just back then as it's like a sprint instinct. You could just. You, like I don't know, you could just feel someone was or something was coming from behind, and there was one or two times where I did actually take a sneak peek underneath my on, underneath my arm, and I could just see this missile coming from behind, and I was I, I could feel like my legs were just full of lactate. I just I could feel I was getting slower, like I didn't have the same power in the last twenty thirty meters, and cab just was coming from behind, and then straight away I just you could see on my face it was just like oh fuck. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But to have a two hundred and what are we two fifty k race or whatever to come down to you're talking like millimeters, you know, like it's yeah. incredible. One of one of the most incredible. Oh, I, I, I almost sued Solo. Yeah, <laughs> they should have just made the bikes longer. Then I would have won. Oh. <laughs> and then. Uh, obviously, you, your form continued. I mean, Flanders, you know, you ran second. Um, it, it was an incredible run, particularly in the classics there uh, for 2009. Did you do anything different leading up to that campaign to give you such a, an incredible amount of form? Uh, one thing, uh, in 2008, Team uh, Australia stopped. And so um, for me, it was actually pretty hard to find a team. And that's where Scott Sunderland uh, played a role. He, he helped um, put Team Savella together back then. And for me, it was really hard to find a team. And I actually only found the team because of him, you know, because I, I knew him from back in the day. And, um, you know, he pretty much got me the spot on the team. It's like, okay, I know, look, this is your last chance and you can't blow it. You can't fuck it up. And then I was thinking, like, also, uh, uh, you know, with uh, Kalsastra, the 2008 Tour de France winner in the team, uh, Tor Hussoff, I, I was pretty much like, oh, man, now I've, I've got to get my shit together. Otherwise, you know, I'm not going to have a very long career. So, um, yeah, just, you know, back then also I was a bit of a, maybe too much of a party boy. To me, party is not really serious and not training properly as I should have done. Took, just took things granted, you know, in my first year I was very successful and I just thought, you know, year for year, I'm just going to get better and better and better and better. But obviously it's not, you know, if you don't work hard, you're not going to be good. And um, in that year, actually, um, I went up to St. Moritz and um, during pretty much the whole winter, I was just doing cross-country skiing. And um, after I came back down from altitude and also from cross-country skiing, uh, in our first training camp, already then it just it was like I had kind of like a like a turbo, or like a like a nitro. It's just um, the 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 effect is it, it, I could kind of compare it to the effect now with cyclocross. Um, it just it, it it really helped me. It just it, it, it's so it's also cross country skiing. If you're just doing four, five, six hours every day, it just gives you so much power and so much an endurance. And because it's it's a very uh, I won't say similar sport to cycling, but you know, with the with the, with the lungs and the heart, the legs, the muscles, it's 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 kind of going in the same direction. And um, 
yeah, that that's that's one thing that a hundred percent helped me in that year to to be that strong. How important a, a, a mentors through that period, like you're talking about Scotty Sullen, how important is it to have that person that, you know, doesn't always tell you what you want to hear to give you that sort of kick up your ass? Uh, back then it was like kind of like, oh, yeah, don't worry, I know what I'm doing, kind of. But, I mean, obviously now with 37 years of age, you, you see things completely, completely different. Mm. And, um, yeah, I, I must say, Scotty, he did, he did help me out a lot back then. Not just helping me get, get a contract, but also, like, going through the races, going through the classics, you know, like coming out of Paris-Nice, you know, he's, like, saying, yeah, look, the legs are going to be feel like this. Don't worry. You know, you're going to come good to San Remo. Even if, like, for example, in one race, uh, you know, your legs will be like this in the end, but do you need to do this and do this. To stay calm, collective, be motivated. So, I mean, yeah, we, we, I remember the first part of the year, we did also have a lot of talks just about racing and just like giving his experience, giving tips, just pretty much staying confident and also staying not motivated, but in that mind frame, that mindset, you know, yeah, I actually can win, you know, believing in yourself. So, mm. yeah. Iffy? I was just uh, we're talking about 2009. What a great year! Uh, and we've we've just seen what you did in Milan San Remo. But Tour of Flanders, that was a much bigger effort. In that, you know, there's plenty of riders who have gone well in Milan San Remo because it's that race that people can sort of you know fluke a, a place and all of that. But when it comes down down to uh, Tour of Flanders, Ronde von Vlaanderen, there ain't no fluking getting on the podium there. It is a real yeah, bike race. I think it's the best classic in the world. Uh, and you ran second in that. And you had to fight against the, the Wolfpack because uh, Devolder, uh, who won that year when you ran second, you know, had a, you know, Boonen and the guys all you know, riding for him. So he won alone. So it was a very, very impressive second place. Yeah, um, yeah, it was. It was. I mean, yeah, Flounders is... is... It's probably one of one of them. I mean, you can't compare it to, example, like Lombardia or Tour de France or Vuelta or anything like that. But it, it, Flanders and Paris Bay are probably the two hardest races on the calendar, just because of the cobblestones and the distance and the the way the the race plays out, how it unfolds. It's just from the start to the beginning, it's you, you have to be so focused and so concentrated. And also the cobblestones, they, they pretty much just, they, they wreck your, your body, they wreck your muscles. And that's, uh, yeah, it's, but it's such an amazing race. It's uh, the races in Belgium in general, all the, all the cobblestone classic races, they're just, they're amazing. I just, that's, that's actually probably the only reason I ride my bike. I mean, to be honest, my season kind of finishes after probably. Uh, you ran you ran six in Roubaix that year. Um, fantastic result. And you ran six again, I think, was it 2016, was it? Or 15? Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. No, the year that um, Matty Hanger won. Oh, well, I was, go- I was going to ask you about that. We love milk and that footage. We won't show it now. Yeah. But, I mean, what what effect did that have seeing a guy that, you know, well, you know, Matty Heyman uh, finally realised his dream after... 15 attempts. Oh, mate, I, 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 I'm sure I, I had a few tears in my eyes too. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. I, I could, but I mean, to be honest, also on the day he was bloody strong because I was still in that group 
and uh, on um, Carrefour, the group split. And uh, it, it wasn't like he, he got to the velodrome, you know, because he was in the group or anything in the early break. You know, he was actually, he was probably the strongest rider uh, left in the final. And um, for him to pull it off at his age, and he's also, you know, it's like for me too, I still believe because, you know, if a guy like Matty Heyman, you know, bloody sitting on the rollers in his garage and sw- sitting on Swift and doing his efforts, and then comes <laughs> comes to Paris Bay, and it's just it's it, it's a it's a fairy tale. It's unbelievable. It is a fairy tale. You you know, I had a really interesting conversation with a guy who was on the show if you you know a month ago, Jamie Anderson, about that. And they've done research now into what happened and why Heyman won Roubaix. And the research is showing that there's a, a new trend. I don't know if you guys are onto it at Bahrain, but it's about tr- heat training and training when your body gets hot and sweats, not tipping over 38.5 degrees, I think. That's like the sweet number. So that if you can train at that sort of temperature, it'll release more red blood cells, whatever, and has an amazing effect to give you that strength. And because Heyman did it for six weeks, what they're learning now is different ways where it's like even it's going to change the way people warm up on the rollers for time trials. You know, the old day, you know, you sweat, you get your heat going. So no, 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 you don't do that. You've got to warm yourself up at this 38.5 degrees or whatever, and that's going to have maximum effect, particularly in a race with Roubaix when you're going into those reserves in the last part. So who knows, Hido, you might be smashing yourself on Zwift in a, in a warmer room. <laughs> Before Roubaix, I mean, it might change the game. I don't know. No, I won't be doing that. <laughs> now, 2009 as well, obviously, is an amazing day, the Tour de France. Now, the second part of that piece we showed earlier from uh, Mark Fallahy uh, with Cycling Central talks about that amazing day at the Tour. So let's have a have a, another look at, at that video. Very often you you lie in bed in the evening and you often think, is it worse that the sport breaks your family up like this. That evening, that question was answered. Every second, every bit, every dollar, every pain we suffered was worth this. I always had it in the back of my mind um, to try and have a go at this stage, even before the tour started, just because it's near where I live. Just the conditions that were really bad, like really cold or raining, windy, and these are my type of conditions where I know if I just keep my energy up that um, I would get better during the day and the other guys, they would start to suffer. This man is doing, I would have to say, the ride of his life. I think with all the hardship and all the very, very hard and um, sometimes not such good experiences he had to go through, uh, this makes him the person and the rider he is now. This man is set to enjoy his finest day as a cyclist. Well, I only really realised it on the, on, the, on the last straight, like the last 500 metres maybe. That's where it really just started to hit me. And then, like just in a flashback, all these memories came back to me like when I was growing up in Imbrel. Always just wanting to do the tour, then to win the stage, and I knew exactly there's going to be people back in Australia watching, and especially my parents. We know that this town, Inverell, will be cheering madly for him tonight for their time. It's in the middle of the night. I wish that every mum and dad in Australia or in the world could have relived what we lived that evening. It was just 
this is something I will take to my grave. He can now win any other stage or whatever. I don't think that same feeling will ever be the same. This was just the ultimate. And now he's just going to enjoy the noise of the crowd in his ears here. It's something I'll never forget. And even now when I see it on TV, I have to hold myself back a bit. <laughs> to the mountains of the Vosges and the Alsace, and he's overcome here with emotion. Yeah, good ride, man. I tell you, that really is very special, Phil. My philosophy in sport with my football and with Heinrich with the cycling, I always say it started with a dream. My dad he was always 100% behind me, always pushing me to my limits. They helped me out a lot, and I really do. I wouldn't be here without them today. I'm not taking any credit for that. That was all Mark Ballahy <laughs> and the Cycling Central. But what a, what an emotional piece of uh, content there. I mean, the, the bond between your parents and particularly your dad and to see it all come together that day at the tour, I mean, it must spark some pretty strong emotions reliving that moment, mate. Oh, for sure. It's, uh, like I already said before, like my parents, they... They're the world for me, you know, I, I owe them everything. And uh, they've just kind of inspired me also like to be that for my kids too. It's just, uh, I, can't, I, can't, I can't really thank them enough because uh, uh, really like, yeah, my whole childhood, they were, they were, it was, we, we had such a, I had a, such a good time as a kid and my parents, they were just, you know, they, they like I said, they, they spent every last cent on me and, I just I can't thank them enough. It's just yeah, it's amazing to have to have to have that bond, to have that that have that kind of childhood growing up. You know, it's 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 that that means more to me than you know winning a race. So that's something like for example. I mean, obviously, I'll never forget the tour stage, but uh, just that the the fun times we had as kids. You know, that's something I'll never forget. Now, if you were fortunate to be there live for that day, and there was so much stuff going on that day in the background. I mean, it started, we were at Giz's place uh, and we had breakfast and and Jerry got some great news. The dinosaur show was going to Japan and I think they dubbed a fair bit of coin into his bank account. I said, mate, if I got that news on the phone, I wouldn't be able to finish this bacon and eggs, you know. <laughs> so we, we went to the race visit and everyone was in a good mood and, and then obviously, you know, you won the stage. But there was drama on the road as well. A good friend, uh, Julian Dean, was shot by a pellet gun in the peloton that day. There was someone up in the woods. Yeah, I remember that, yeah. And I, and I remember Scotty interviewing you after the finish and he, and he famously said, Hi, now you'll be popping two things today. Uh, champagne and that saddle saw that you were telling us before the start. <laughs> what, what, what are your memories about the emotion? Because you, this started as a kid that said, I'm going to ride the tour, but to, to fully sink in that you have won a stage of the tour, what can you remember the raw emotion that you went through? Obviously, we saw the vision of the finish, but can you, can you remember specifically what, what was going through your head? 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. The thing was, I already had such a big lead, but because I had that already, I already coming up to the tour, I had already like nine or ten second places, uh, and um, I was just thinking, I don't know why, I was just thinking, there's still gonna come, someone's gonna come from behind, or I'm gonna crash, or I'm gonna have a mechanical, I'm gonna have a flat tire. And that's why I couldn't really soak in anything until the last kind of 600 meters where I was like, kind of like, oh yeah, actually I'm going to, uh, I want a stage. I'm going to win a stage. But even then it was just straight away. It was just like, I remember, like I said, in the, in the, in the video, it was all these flashbacks, like they just happened so fast as like just growing up in Inverell, like we'd go out after school every day at 5.30, you know, and we'd always at the end, we always do a big sprint for the town sign going out on the bike with my old man, you know, racing on the track on the velodrome on the Wednesday evenings. And just knowing also that my parents, that they'd be, they'd be at home, like just probably absolutely bawling their eyes. My old man with a <laughs> bottle of Bundaberg in his hand, ready to celebrate. <laughs> um, it, it was, I, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't expect it. It was, it was um, it just, the tears just came automatically, like just tears of, happiness like i just couldn't believe it it was uh, pretty cool <laughs> what what was that first phone call with your parents like when you were able to talk to them after winning that stage oh i i can't really remember to be honest yeah i really i can't i can't i can't remember that but um, well, yeah. i remember uh, I was going to say, as, you, as your old man said in that video, I mean, they were obviously elated and, and those memories, you know, of that day and being up at night and seeing you in that stage, you know, they're going to have that for life, obviously. Oh, yeah, but it just also in general, they're just a massive fans. Like, they're, they're, they're the, 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 first, the, first, they're the first messages I get on my phone after a race, you know, just asking me how the race was, seeing if I'm okay or making sure I didn't crash if I wasn't on the results, for example. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, they're, they're, yeah, I was, I was thinking of them when I crossed the line and that's, that's also so emotional. That's awesome, mate. Johnny? Oh, I've got to say, that was an amazing day, but we celebrated pretty hard for you as well. Mm. As, as Dan was just saying, uh, <laughs> J- Jerry Jerry Ryan was there with us and we had a, a, a group of uh, the D2 mob, uh, Alan Lang. And I remember we were in a little hotel right in the middle of Colmar. It was like a little German hotel because it was almost a part of Germany, that part of that, that uh, on the border of uh, France and Germany. But I looked at a great restaurant. Alan and Jerry were down in the cellar picking out the best wines and we partied like big time. I remember yeah. this. And Jerry saying to me, now, John, because he had to fly to Italy for a business meeting the next morning. Don't forget, I've got this early morning flight from the local airport. We've got to leave at 5.30. I said, that's fine. But, but we kept partying, kept partying. Anyway, about 4.30, 5 o'clock next morning, I get tap, tap on the uh, on my door. I open up. It's Jerry. It's just a, he's just out of the shower. He's got a towel around him. He said, just checking that you're up. I said, I'm up, mate. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and off he goes. And about 30 seconds later, tap, tap on the door. He said, I've locked myself out of my room. <laughs> <"Hit him." laughs> so, so we then tried to ring the numbers in the hotel. And it turns out, because it's in the middle of town, no one actually lived in the hotel. None of the staff, the owner, they all lived in the houses around. So he's stuck. 
He said, oh, I'm not going to get that plane. So I just tried ringing the actual number of the hotel. And sure enough, the owner answered at 5.30 in the morning. Uh, and he's he got a, you know, he's struggling. And I said, mate, we're the guys who drank all that wine last night, remember? Yeah, yeah. I said, you've got to come and open the door. So next minute he walks in, in his dressing gown, opens the door for Jerry. <laughs> we race out in the car. He says, come on, we're going to go. I've got, it's in the GPS. We roar off and we we pull into the uh, Colmar Parachuting Club. We're on the wrong airport after <laughs> But re-Googled. Re Got to the airport and the plane was delayed and luckily Jerry caught his flight to Italy. <laughs> the, the, the iffy cat always lands on, lands on its feet. But I tell you, we partied big time that night. It was an absolutely uh, amazing day. Yeah, yeah sensational. Now, uh, let's let's move forward to obviously uh, the Nationals. Um, 2015, uh, it was obviously another fantastic day. Uh, let's have a look at the, the final sprint, the last uh, couple hundred metres. A and long way from home for Jack Bobridge. Campbell Flakemore sits behind him. It's then Caleb Ewan, and Heinrich Hausler has got himself in contention. He sits behind Caleb Ewan. He's in fourth place, and he's chosen the fastest known wheel in this breakaway. Ewan is broken early, and look at this. Hausler has gone for him. Heinrich Hausler is shoulder to shoulder with the young superstar. Hausler is going to give this to New South Wales, and that's the first goal medal of these championships for New South Wales and he is the champion of Australia and that is an incredible result for Heinrich Hausler. Heinrich Hausler, the only rider in the group that we said could possibly beat Caleb Ewan in a sprint well, has proven that to be the case. He gets the win. Caleb is in second position. Neil van der Ploeg will round out the podium in third. What a moment for number 15. I just, I can't believe it really. It's just... The whole day, you know, being in the first group, you know, you know, no one really wanted to work. Everyone was looking at each other. Then the next, I was already, you know, pretty much already gave up. It's going to work for Dave. Then the group went again, and it was just like every climb was just suffering, suffering, coming back, coming back. And uh, just in the sprint, it was unbelievable. You know, it went perfectly. I was on Caleb, Caleb's wheel. He was following me the last two laps, and I was going like thinking the whole time, oh, shit, how do I get him off my wheel? So it just went out perfect. He had, he had up actually pretty early, I thought because it's a full gas headwind. And seriously, I mean, that sprint was like San Remo back then. I was just, the last 100 metres, I was just trying to get every little bit of energy out of my legs and lactic acid was just pouring out of my ears. It's unbelievable. I just, I, I, it's almost the best day of my life. I can't believe it. I haven't seen that sort of emotion in your face after a finish line since Colmar winning a stage of the Tour de France. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, you know. Since 2009, I've just had a lot of injuries, operations, coming back, coming back, coming back, you know, falling back down. Really worked hard this uh, winter. Came out early here in December to train, and uh, finally things are going going good again. I just it's, it's best day of my life. I can't believe it. He's just doing interviews now. That's a big call. We've seen the we've seen the Tour de France and we've seen the Nationals. Is that still the best day of your life, or is the Tour yeah. top? That? Uh, I, I haven't seen that interview before. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, um, you know, it was static in the in the moment. Yeah, it, it was different. I mean, of course, it's a special day. You just you know that you're going to wear the jersey for a whole year, so that's that's what makes it so special. So, obviously, uh, it wasn't. It was probably the second best day in my, my career, or the second <laughs> best day in my life. But um, 
Yeah, it was. It was absolutely amazing. It was. Uh, it was just because I'm not. I'm not saying it because I'm Australian. But the, the jersey, it's it's the it's 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 just beautiful. It's the best jersey in the peloton. And uh, mm. knowing that you can wear that and represent it, or you know, especially over here in Europe, in all the big races, it just it also means something. So uh, yeah, it was it was amazing, and yeah. It was, also brings back a lot of nice memories. If he, yeah, but it, it was a it was a great win. Actually, you 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 creamed him in the sprint. I I, I thought uh, Caleb would uh, look like going to be the winner that day. He actually put him an amazing ride. I thought you were cooked um, the last time up the hill. You really looked. Yeah, uh, you, know, you looked like you were you were you were struggling, but you came back really well. Well, that was the thing. I mean, already the the lap before, um, I tried to get rid of Caleb, and uh, I just. I went way too deep. I like I taxed way too hard, and all the guys just went over the top of over the top of me. And um, then I noticed once we got over the top, you know, because they were also attacking each other. They were all kind of a little bit kind of cooked, and they couldn't just keep it going. So I got back on the descent, and then once I got back, I'm like, maybe I might be in here with a shot. You know, I might be able to get to the finish, and if I get to the finish, I might be able to win. So I just I knew on the last on the last time they were going to back. It was just obvious. So uh, I just try I just followed the wheels, and then I just stayed on my 500, 550 watts. Didn't go over my limit. Let them do what they wanted to do, and kind of happened like that. They 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 went out all out. You know, attacked over the top, kind of looking at each other. Didn't really have the power to keep it going. And then I got back on the descent again, and um, yeah, just. Bobo, he hit, he hit out really early. Then, um, like I said, it also like in the interview, it was a pretty, it was a pretty uh, strong headwind. And uh, Caleb, you know, he just went way too early. And I, I remember I was just sitting on the wheel. I'm just like, I was licking my lips, just like, oh yeah, I got this one in the bag. So, well, you yeah, you said. You said in the uh, interview that, you know, you'd, you'd overcome so many setbacks. I mean, take us through some of the, the injuries that you had in that period before 2015. And, and mentally, the, did that – was that obviously pretty taxing to, to come back, injured, come back? Yeah, uh, 2010, I had a really bad crash in Tour de Suisse, the, the one with Cap, if that says anything. Oh, uh, that's right. Yep, yep. And then I tried to keep on going, but things weren't just going, like there was still something wrong with my knee. And uh, then I had to get operated on my knee. Then, um, yeah, just the thing was, my knee just didn't get good, good, really, like proper good again. It's just, it was always something wrong. I was always just always osteo, physio, everyday osteo. And um, then uh, I just got problems again because I was completely, I didn't do the right physio. I didn't build up my left leg properly before I came back. Then I get, got hip problems with my hips, with my back. And uh, I mean, I still got a few good results, but I never got, I never reached anywhere near my, 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 uh, my level that I had in 2009. I mean, every now and then I'd have a few good results or I'd get a top 10 in the classics. But I could, I could never attack. I could never be with the, the top guys in the final. Then um, I changed teams to IAM in 2013. 
And then I, then I, I really felt good again in the classics. So I started to feel like I was kind of getting back to that level where I should be. And I had a few, I think I got fourth, or, no, not fourth, fifth or sixth in Flanders. A few, a few good top tens, fourth in Ghent Bevelgem. Then um, come to Tour de Suisse, uh, I had another crash in Tour de Suisse again. And uh, I broke my hip and broke my pelvis. Yeah, it's, it's right. And then, um, yeah, that, that just put me out for, I didn't race for the rest of the season. And then again, like just don't, done it totally wrong. Just waited and waited, then go back on the bike, not doing the right physio, not building up my, my, like my muscles, my left side. And the thing was too, my, this all happened on my left side. And um, yeah, things just, uh, just, I'd never, I was always trying to reach that level, always searching, 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 but I just, just couldn't get back to that level that I had back in 2009. And, um, yeah, then also a couple of years ago in 2016, 17, I had also again some bad knee injuries. I had uh, within one year, I had three operations on my knee. And um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's not like you can, you, you know, you have an operation or even a small operation that you can just jump back into it. You know, it just, it takes time. And uh, it's, 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 it's sometimes mentally very hard to, to stay positive or even stay focused. So um, that's why I just, I appreciate now just being on my bike, being able to ride my bike pain-free and that's why I just love it. I just, every training, I almost, I just go out there and smash myself. Not because I need to, but just because I can. I just, I, I love he, it. It's just a wonderful story of persistence, uh, mm. Heinrich. I mean, it's, uh, it's so impressive, bud. But the beautiful part of this is you are showing form right now of back 2009 type four months. So, uh, but you are. So, uh, I'm really looking forward to, to, to watching you uh, next few days in Paris Nice, which starts uh, tomorrow, I think. Uh, and um, leading to the classics, Milan San Remo would be right on your radar again. But I reckon, especially Tour of Flanders, I reckon Ronde von Vlaanderen, you're going to give it a real shake, pal. Well, I mean, all, all classics, if you've got form, already now and uh that's also a good sign for the races coming up and it's all the same type of guys in every race you know so really gonna choose one or two races and just go absolutely all in and try and get a good result i mean i've got this year and next year and then i'm pretty sure i'll stop after that so uh even like even in use blood i mean to get fourth i'm not saying i'm old but to get fourth with 37 years of age i was i was super stoked about that I still know that I can do better, but um, yeah, just if, if, if my best result will be fourth or whatever, and, and well, I know mate, I've done everything. Matty Heyman won Roubaix at 53, mate. you got time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. um, we've got a couple of comments from people. Uh, San Jensen says, well, I look like Danish Christopher Yule Jensen. Uh, from Bike Exchange. I don't know if that's a compliment, mate. <laughs> uh, Jack Bartle says, first time catching one of these live. Love the show. And uh, Ian Thomas wants to know, hey, Heinrich, it's been good to see you close to the front of the bunch recently. Did the cyclocross you've done make a difference to your form? Yes, 100%. 100%. Yeah. Yep. Next year, I'll be doing a complete full season. 
Now, one thing I have to ask you before we let you go is uh, a sports director that's joined Bahrain this year is our good mate, Neil, the Sheriff Stevens. Uh, how's it been working with uh, Steve-O? Well, to be honest, uh, I haven't really caught up with him that much. I mean, during training camp, we had, obviously, because the COVID restrictions and everything, we all were in our, in our own like um, little groups and bubbles. And Steve-O was in a different bubble or a different group than me. So, I mean, we did have a quick chat. But he's going to be in Paris, so it'll be my first time working with him. And to be honest, I'm actually pretty excited. Well, I'll give you a word of advice from the six years of working with Steve-O. I used to always say he's got a red texter, right? He's got a green one that rarely comes out, and that's where you get the Steve-O mental tick. You're in his good books. But he's got a red one. And if you there's two crosses. I saw many guys make the mistake thinking, ah, oh, he'll get over it. He stores a bit of stuff, the old sheriff. So if you get the one cross, work your ass off to get that rubbed out. But if you get the faithful tattooed two crosses, that's it. <laughs> You've got the sheriff cross and it's very yeah. hard to get off that list. So, uh, yeah. But uh, we always like to finish on uh, uh, one of the words of advice. I mean, we've, we've gone through the pandemic. We've gone through a lot of, you know, tough moments, uh, not just for a cyclist, but people in general. What, what's the thing or the takeaway from your journey, this amazing journey that we've just heard, uh, that you can give to people, particularly to get through those those tough moments, Hino? Oh, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. Like, just, you know, keep motivated, work hard, and, you know, your, your time will come. It will come. You know, it's, it's, it, you just have to want it. And uh, my old man always used to say, you know, if you want something, you just have to work harder or want it harder than the others and you'll get it. That's awesome. Great, great advice. Anything uh, before we go, Ify? No, just uh, keep at it, mate. I'm really looking forward to uh, these next couple of weeks. And the word I was trying to think of before was intensity. That's the it was the intensity, intensity. of the yeah. uh, uh, of the cyclocross uh, that that really builds you up quickly. It's almost as good as riding uh, uh, a bay crits before you know the intensity. Mate, of it's exactly it, it's exactly like bay crits. The hot do the hot dog course for one hour. Exactly the same. <laughs> well mate it's been a sensational chat as we said such an inspiring story and the connection you've got with your parents particularly your father and and having that dream at such a young age going for it and and realizing those dreams is is bloody inspiring mate so really appreciate you coming on the show and uh look forward to seeing the high of old given that uh you know you've got those uh leg fiber twitches going we, we should see some big results mate Thanks, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Thanks Hino. Mate. Fantastic. Sensational. Legend. Cheers, mate. See you, guys. See ya. Hi, Housley. Ify. What an amazing story. What an amazing journey. Cheers, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Yeah. Sensational. Sensational. And I love the way he gave, he gave me a plug for the Bay Crits at the end. He's a good man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that brown paper bag is coming out when we see him in Geelong. Uh, now, as we always say, if you want to follow the show, um, YouTube uh, forward slash uh, the Detour podcast and uh, like, share, review on uh, we're on Spotify, iTunes. Tell your mates any other uh, stuff you want to plug, John. Oh, yeah. No, no, We're you good. might be having a potential garage sale coming up soon as well. Oh, of course. Yes, yes. We, we, we'll uh, keep you informed on, on that one. We've got uh, a whole stack of uh, um, 
Scott frames and 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 leftover gear that that we're we're putting up on Bike Exchange very soon, um, and uh, it, it's amazing uh, deal. So good one, uh, well picked there, Dan. We'll we'll uh, we'll uh, the next uh, detour episode next week, whatever it will yeah. be, we'll give you some more information on that one. Be a ripper. So if, so if you're thinking about buying a new frame, you can go to bikeexchange.com.au, or you could wait. And wait for if he's run out sale. We'll let you know all the details <laughs> next week. Uh, thanks again for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you again soon.